And good morning, church. It's good to be back with you again. Uh, I am so grateful for the invitation from Tyson and the elders to be here. Uh, just to close the gap a little bit with those uh, whom I have not yet met. So I, as Tyson said, I've been a preacher for 40 years, 30 of those at Indian Creek Christian Church, the creek in Indianapolis. Somebody earlier was saying, hey, where are you from? Indianapolis. And uh, our city is grieving, obviously, uh, as to what had happened. Now, uh, about eight, nine years ago, a couple of buddies of mine who are professors in our schools and I, we were on a mission trip together teaching in seminary over in Austria for TCM. And uh, we happened in that moment to spend some time praying, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted us to begin a ministry to elders. And so in these last eight years, we've now spoken to almost 10,000 elders in our conferences. We have over 60,000 books in print to train elders, been all across the country and in many uh, countries of the world, equipping elders to lead effectively. And that's where our path crossed. So D. Arms used our material in a church that he was leading prior to coming here to first, and then he introduced E2 to Tyson and your elder team here. And so that's bringing us up to date. And, and as Tyson said, I'm just so privileged to have been on a journey with you. So yeah, every time I come, I want to get, get better acquainted. So I'm going to begin today with a story that this happened to me just a few years ago. Here's a picture uh, of me with a bunch of buddies from the creek. We go mountain climbing for about five days over Labor Day weekend every year. We've done about 25, 26 of what are called the 14ers out in Colorado, peaks that are more than 14,000 feet in height. And uh, so we were flying back from Denver on Southwest. You've probably been on Southwest, so you're in Group A, Group B, Group C. And uh, so we, we were standing there in line. And about 10 of us went wanting to get on the plane. And this young couple right in front of me turned around and said, Pastor Gary? And I said, how do you know who I am? They go, well, we go to your church there in Indianapolis. And I go, you got to be kidding. Now, the creek's... Uh, sizable. And uh, so I said, well, we've never met. This is great. Let's sit together on the plane. And that young couple said, yes, we want to get acquainted with our pastor. And so we got on the plane. The, the wife sat next to the window. Uh, the husband obviously sat in the middle seat, which meant I got the aisle. I was on the aisle. And so we're up in the air. And, and uh, they turned to me and said, so pastor, why are you out here with these guys? And go, well, we climb mountains every year. <laughs> And I said, and why are you two out here? And she smiled, and he, he said, my wife's, she's in her first trimester. And I go, oh, well, I didn't hear trimester. My wife, Leah, of 43 years, keeps threatening to get me miracle ear for Christmas. And I said, I don't need miracle ear. Well, he said trimester. I heard triathlon. And I'm going, triathlon, triathlon. And so I've run a few marathons, and I'm thinking, I, and I always ask the same question. If somebody says they did a triathlon or a marathon, I always ask the same question. He says trimester, I'm hearing triathlon, and I turn and I go, so where did you do it? <laughs> and that young couple looked at their pastor that they just met for the first time, and their jaws dropped, and the guys with me, they're laughing because of what I did. You know, open uh, mouth, insert foot, chew vigorously. That was one of those moments. And the reason I share that with you is twofold. One, I want us to get better acquainted. Uh, I make many mistakes uh, from day to day, and I am very real. But also, I want 
us to understand we got to have an ear with which to what? Hear. And that's where we're going in the Word of God today. We need an ear with which to hear. Now, here we go. We're going to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at the church in Jerusalem in the first century. Now, here's a rule that you and I always have to follow when we study, read, open the Bible. And that is context before content, always. So we have to establish the context. What's, on, what's going on? Where is this? So what we're going to read about is happening in First Christian Church in Jerusalem. First Christian Church. And uh, this is before the great persecution that happens at the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8. All of this is going on in the city of God, Jerusalem. We read in Acts 4, verse 4, that the church then numbered 5,000 men plus women and children. So you give those 5,000 men a wife, you give them kids. The church in Jerusalem, before the great persecution, conservatively numbered 20,000 people or more. Conservatively. So you talk about a mega church. The very first church on planet Earth was indeed a mega church. They were growing prolifically. Now with all that being said, we're going to... Get into Acts 6, and we're going to really go digging. Now, you stay with me. We're starting wide, and we're going to come down here to a discovery. I'll tell you when I'm done, so do not finish before me. Is that a deal? All right, so here we go. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, now that in Greek means, it's present tense, the church kept growing and growing and growing. 5,000 became 6,000. 6,000 became 10,000. 10,000 became 15,000. The church kept growing. When the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now let me just pause right there. Your church did an amazing thing yesterday. You rolled out the red carpet to anybody who wanted to come and learn about deacon ministry. And you're to be commended. There were people from uh, another church here who brought uh, a whole van full of individuals and so the many individuals from First Church who were here, they've already heard this passage. So if I lose my voice, I'm going to just call one of those elders up here to finish the text, the sermon today, all right? So you bear with me. Repetition is a what, people? It's a good teacher. So here we're going to get back into the text. We did this yesterday. Now, when it says here that the Hebraic Jews, they were being fed, the, the widows who spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, but the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, that's this daily distribution. we got to think this through. The, the New Testament church looked very Jewish because they maintained Jewish practices. So there's this Hebrew word, kupa, K-U-P-P-A-H, kupa, and it means basket. And at the end of every day... Because the people ate only one meal a day back then in the days of the Bible, not three a day, four a day, one a day. They ate in order to stay alive. They worked to live for one more day. The apostles, 12 apostles, were going door to door, knocking on door after door of these thousands of people in Jerusalem with their baskets collecting food. Do you have any bread left over? Do you have any olives, any apricots? Do you have any figs? Do you have any fish? Do you have anything left over for widows and orphans? And as the church continued to grow prolifically, the apostles could not keep up with the demand. They needed help. 
That's what's going on in the text. Now, one more thing about that verse before we go into verse 2. When it says that they were overlooked in the daily distribution of food, that word overlooked is in a tense of Greek. That means it happened again and again and again. Now, put those two facts together. People were eating one meal a day, and that's all, because that's all the food they had, and they were being overlooked day after day after day. It means that those widows were what? Starving to what? To death. That's how serious verse 1 is. Do not think for a moment that it's just a simple little social problem. It is not. There were widows literally starving to death. That's how serious it is, all right? Now let's go digging a little bit deeper. Verse 2. Verse 2. So, the 12, that would be the 12 apostles, the spiritual leaders of the church, they gathered all the disciples together. That doesn't mean that they had a congregational meeting of 20,000 people. They didn't have a a huge gathering. They gathered together the people that this involved. And they said to them, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God. And that word ministry in Greek is a form of the word diakonos, which means servant, from which we get deacon. It would not be right for us to not serve up the word of God in order for us to wait on tables, to go door to door knocking, collecting food. In other words, they knew a priority. They had to to present the word of God to people. Now let's go on into verse 3. Brothers... Choose seven men from among you, known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. We'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Stop there for a moment. When they say, choose from among you, that word choose does not mean, hey, establish a nominating committee, nominate men in the church, have an election day, hand out the ballots to vote. That's not what that means. It means you carefully select. You select men known to be full of God's spirit and his wisdom. Mature men of God. That's what it means to carefully select. You you have to know these men more than just their name. You have to know their reputation. You have to know their walk with God. You have to know where they are with Jesus. And then if you choose worthy men, then we're going to turn this responsibility over to them. And then notice, they said that uh, in verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So all of these men have Greek names. So they chose from this group of people who were complaining, hey, our widows are dying of starvation, do something about this. So from that group of people, they choose seven men, all with Greek names. That means that they spoke Greek. They they would have had a heart of tremendous concern for their widows who were starving to death. They would do something about this. So it was the right person with the right motivation, uh, given the right task within the church. They were carefully selected. And so what happens then, notice in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, laying out of hands in prayer, in that moment, it wasn't some shazam prayer moment. That's not what that was. The laying out of hands had different purposes in Scripture. For example, in Numbers 27, 
God says to Moses, take young Joshua, have him stand in front of the people, here it is, now listen, and lay your hands on him, giving him some of your authority. So the laying on of hands, one of its purposes was for the giving of authority. So the apostles, the spiritual leaders, have these seven men stand up in front of all the people and they gave them not only a job to do, but they gave them the authority to get the job what? Done, to get the job done. So they gave them responsibility and accompanied it with authority to lead that food ministry to keep those widows alive for another day. Incredible. So then what was the response of that? Well, in verse 7, it says here, so the word of God spread. See, the apostles, they devoted themselves, these spiritual leaders, to the ministry of the word and prayer, to the spiritual feeding of the people. And what they do? The word of God spread. More and more people in Jerusalem heard about Jesus. Remember, they don't have a Bible like this. They had no New Testament, not at all. So they took the Jewish Bible, which was the Old Testament, called the Tanakh. They took the Jewish Bible, and they went door to door. They went into the temple courts, these apostles. They devoted themselves to telling the Jews, Jesus is our Messiah. We can prove it from the prophets. That's what they did. And notice, it says right there in verse 7, that the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And that word rapidly increased in Greek, it means geometric multiplication. It's like having a checkerboard or a, a chessboard. Anybody remember how many squares on a chessboard, a checkerboard? Anybody remember that? 64. And so just imagine with me, I, I remember taking uh, our sons when they were little up to Chicago to the uh, sh uh, Museum of Science and Industry, and they had a display, I will never forget it. They had this checkerboard, and they said, if you take uh, a kernel of corn and you put it in that first square, and then you put two in the next, and four in the next, and eight in the next, you keep doubling it with every square, by the time you get to that 64th square, having doubled kernels of corn, the corn will be five feet deep and cover the inner continent of India. That's how much corn there would be. The law of geometric multiplication. That's how the church was growing. They were reaching all manner of people with this good news of Jesus. And it says that even a number of priests became obedient to the faith. Is that not incredible? Now... Uh, let's, just, let's just push pause here on this Netflix movie, okay? All right? Improving our serve. We're going to figure this out. Dr. Thomas Edison, brilliant man, brilliant man. Uh, he had a winter home in Florida, Fort Myers. I don't know if you've toured the home. It's a, a remarkable place, the Edison home. And he would often go out to the end of the dock fishing, when Dr. Edison was at the end of the dock fishing, when he was there in the winter months, nobody stepped foot on that dock, not even Mrs. Edison. He wanted to be left alone. After he died, somebody discovered why the good doctor caught so very few fish. Because in his journal, he wrote that he didn't want to bait the hook because he didn't want the fish to bother him. He just wanted to sit there and think. This guy is the guy who said 5% of people think, 10% think they think, and the other 85% would rather die than think. He hit the nail on the head. 
We're going to sit here and think for a moment. What stands out from this moment at First Christian Church, Jerusalem? There are three things that stand out. FCC, function. The spiritual leaders, the apostles, we would think of them as elders. Remember, hey, elders, our name elder, I'm an elder at the Creek, Indian Creek Christian Church. The word elder first appears in the Bible in a very famous 3.16. John 3.16 is not the only famous 3.16. Colossians 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16. There are many famous 3.16s. Ours is Exodus 3.16. It's the first time elders are mentioned in the Bible. When Moses is at a burning bush and God says to Moses, go back and talk to the elders. So elders have been spiritual leaders for centuries. The apostles are the spiritual leaders in First Christian Church, Jerusalem, and they say, we know that there's a better way to function as a church. We've got these growing pains, and we're going to have to change things the way we do things. We need people to help us. The Lord is growing the church prolifically, and there are widows who are dying. Please step up to the plate. Choose seven men from among you known to be full of Jesus, and we're going to give that responsibility over to them. So they knew there was a better, more effective way to function, and they had the courage to move in that direction. Why? Because, see, they had concern, great concern for the people. They cared about those widows who were dying of starvation. They did something about it. They called people, please help us. While all the time staying true to their sea commitment, commitment to the gospel. See, they are telling people about Jesus. They will not be silent. They're going to get the good news out to people over and over and over again. That's what stands out to me from this moment in, in the story of First Christian Church Jerusalem. Now, we have to, we're about right here. We've got to figure out how does that speak into our lives. We're going to sit here and think about this for a moment. You know, a church has a bell curve. A church has a bell curve, just like a business. A church is launched, given birth. Anybody know when First Christian Church was born, this church, what year it was? Anybody know? Did we forget the birthday of the church? I'm going to find out between services, okay? Yeah, we'll find out. But this church, I would assume, has been around for a while, has it not? There was a launch day. And all churches, after they're born, just like a new business, they grow and they have momentum. They've got what is called momentum growth, but pretty soon the new wears off. And they have to be strategic in what they do to keep growing in hopes of reaching a place of sustained health, beating on, uh, uh, hitting on all eight cylinders. And that's where every business or every church wants to be, a place of sustained health. But regretfully, today in America, almost nine out of ten churches are on the wrong side of the bell curve hoping to maintain. They're in a maintenance mode. We hope to maintain the offering, maintain the giving, maintain the attendance, maintain the interest in the church, and even some of them unable to maintain, they are on what I call life support. They're hanging by a thread. I was on the phone just a few days ago with a pastor, and he said, we've got enough money to make it through December, but after that, we're going to probably close. 
They are on life support. It's very common in America today because so many out of 350,000 churches in America, the majority of them are on the wrong side of the bell curve and regretfully many are going to close. Closure will become a reality. Do you listen carefully? 10 churches in America close every day. 10 churches a day. I'm not a bearer of bad news. I'm bringing reality to us. We have to understand that the American church, capital C, is not in a good place. And so what do you and I want to do? We need to address that somehow, some way in our lives. The Fuller Institute of Church Health They said there are three numerical barriers to growth in a church. It doesn't matter if we're Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Southern Baptist, Independent, Stone Campbell, Restoration, New Testament church. It doesn't matter what kind of a tribe we are. There are three numerical barriers to growth. 200, 400, and 800. You have to do something to break those three glass ceilings. Now, there are going to be barriers after that. But they're going to be unique to the church. We, we broke those three barriers at the creek, but then we had barriers at 1,200, at 2,000, at 4,000. We still had barriers, but we had to identify what was wrong and do something to break that barrier, okay? Now, listen up. The one thing that will always, always help us break that barrier is when everyone is serving. Everyone is serving their Jesus, We don't hire it done. It's where all of us understand that this is indeed my responsibility to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4. Go with me to Ephesians 4, right? So after the book of Acts in the New Testament, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and this is one of his prison epistles, meaning he wrote it while incarcerated. Chapter 4, would you notice with me please, uh, verse 11 and following, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Here it is, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. See, that's Tyson's role, that's Dee's role, that's Ben's role, Belinda's role, etc. That's the role of the elders to equip, to prepare all of us to serve Jesus. And, And then if we go on in the text... So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We become mature. We grow up in the faith and we just don't grow old in the faith. How do we grow up in the faith? How do we mature? By knowing and using my gift for Jesus. And then he goes on, a little bit later on, he says, From him the whole body, joined uh, and held together by every supporting limit, grows and builds itself up in love. Here it is, as each part does what? It's work. All of us do our work. All right? Now let's think about this for a moment. I, uh, Leah and I, we enjoy travel. We were on a trip a couple of years ago. We stopped at a gift shop. I said, let's get a Christmas ornament or whatever to remember our stop here. And so we go into the gift shop. Leah goes down one aisle. I'm down another aisle. And all of a sudden, I start laughing out loud. And I mean, it was a belly, gut-busting laugh. And Leah comes over and goes, shh, you're embarrassing me. And I go, ha, 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 She says, what's so funny? And I had this plaque in my hand. It was about speed bumps. 
Speed bumps, all right? Just, you know, bump in the parking lot. And it said, I want to live life in the fast lane, but I'm married to a speed bump. I said, is this not hilarious? And he goes, no. <laughs> Needless to say, I did not buy it. I would have been, I'm smart enough to know I'm not buying that plaque, okay? Many times the church hits a speed bump. Listen to my heart. I love you people. We're all on the same team. We're all on team Jesus. Listen up. You and I many times are a speed bump. We slow the bride down when we are not contributing to the work of God. See, there are three things that stand out about First Christian Church, Greenville, Illinois. Okay? FCC. What do we learn from the text? Now listen up. James. What did James say? Do not be a mere what? Hear of the word, but be a what? Be a doer, okay? So I'm a preacher. I'm going to get right to the point. I'm not going to dance around a bush. I don't know if I'm going to die on my way back to Indianapolis or not, so I'm going to bring the word. The letter F of FCC, you must find your gift. And you got to use it. Why, why do I say that? Because in 1 Peter 4.10, it says that each person, that means each person, Nobody gets a get-out-of-serving-free card. Nobody does. Each person should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. To serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So do you know your gift, and are you using your gift? Now just remember, we're going to leave planet Earth. All of us die. Last I knew, death was 100%. We're all going to die. And this good book says in more than one place, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us do. Now, it's a good thing that we're going to have Jesus by our side. But we know enough from this book that we want to hear those words, well, what? Well done, my good and faithful what? Servant. Oh, boy, there's that word Servant. That's what we want to hear from God. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well, I'm just wondering if we're going to hear that or God's going to say, well, well, what did you do with that gift I gave you? Because listen up, this is not rocket science. A gift is meant to be given not kept. And you and I, if we bear the name Jesus, oh, I'm a Christian, I-A-N, suffix of Christ, follower of Christ, that means you and I live like him. 1 John 2, verse 6. If we claim to be his follower, we must walk as Jesus walked. What did Jesus do? He walked to a cross. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I'm not going to be a hitchhiker. I've determined that long ago. I will not hitchhike in the body of Christ. I'm not going to say, here, hey, give me a ride. You meet all my needs. You, you, you do it all for me. And listen, by the way, if you offend me, I'm going to sue you for everything you got. If you get in an accident and I get hurt, you better have car insurance. That is not the heart of a believer. Jesus died for us. I should want to serve him. I should want to lay my life on the line and say, with the gift, you've given me another day of life. I have the breath of life. How can I honor you and glorify you today? That's exciting life. 
Because it's all about see Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, we do it all for the Lord. Verse 23, whatever we do, we work at it with all of our heart as if serving the Lord and not men. Verse 17, whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, do it all for the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It says it twice in Colossians 3. Do it all for Jesus. And you know what? We, we need to. When you and I look at America today, when I look at my city today, the letter C, compassion, is so desperately needed. Matthew 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I, every time I come to Greenville, I see the city welcome sign, and there's a population number on it. Do you know the population of Greenville? What's on that sign? Anybody? 7,000. And I would venture to think that the churches of Greenville do not have 7,000 people in them today. There are many hurting, broken people who are far from God that if we took to them Jesus, his hope would change everything in their lives. Everything. And just like in First, First Christian Church Jerusalem, where they were growing prolifically, 500 would become 1,000 here at FCC Greenville. 1,000 would become 1,800. 1,800 would become 2,400. 2,400 would become 5,000. I believe with all of my heart that is entirely possible in this place, entirely possible. So there are three, three life lessons that you and I want to grasp today. FCC, find and use your gift. Tyson is making it so easy for that to happen here. Even a QR code. Uh, We can get engaged. It's easy. And I know that in this series, he's going to make available a way to identify a spiritual gift in your life and in mine. It's going to be very easy. And not only do we find and use our gift, but we do it for Christ. And for Christ alone and with his compassion. With his compassion. You know, um, Walt Disney, I was in fifth grade when he uh, died. I remember Miss Berger, my fifth grade teacher, making the announcement after lunch, 1966. And uh, what is fascinating, when they cut the ribbon at Disney World in 1971, October, Somebody who was close to Walt said, it's too bad he never saw this. And one of his family members said, oh, but he did. He was able to see with great vision what was possible. Just look at First Christian Church Greenville. Do you see what's possible? Thousands coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But for that to happen, it's all hands-on deck and what a privilege it is to serve Jesus. Let's stand together, shall we? Lord, we pray asking you to move in a most powerful, powerful way, not only today, but every day that you give us the breath of life. Father, we're so grateful that just as Jeremiah said long ago in Lamentations, because of your compassion, we are not consumed. Your mercies, they never fail. They are new every morning. 
for great is your faithfulness. We've seen new mercies again this morning, mercies we've never seen before, another day of life. How great is your love for us. May we show, demonstrate, prove our love for you by being fully committed followers of your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, convict us where we need conviction. Holy Spirit, comfort us where we need comfort. Holy Spirit, convince us that our lives have great value in your sight. And we can, every one of us, make a difference. This is our prayer in Jesus alone. Amen. Tyson is up here. Dee is up here. If we can pray with you, if we could answer questions for you, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, today is a great day. Please come. If you're looking for a place to serve, we want to have that conversation with you today.